Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and trust that you've been enjoying the series that we've been doing on the book of Hebrews. Thank you so much for all the comments we've received and the uh, encouraging emails. And uh, uh, we've had a lot of good response on this teaching on the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue today uh, with, I believe, one of the most important subjects. I've looked forward to getting into this because we're going to talk about Melchizedek. We're going to talk about New Covenant tithing. We're going to talk about giving. And we're going to talk about uh, the most holy place and the mercy seat. Uh, let me say, first of all, that I believe this will be a very valuable series to anyone uh, who is truly have a heart after God. Uh, before we get into the Word, though, I just want to take the time to tell you that if you've missed any of the first six chapters that we've done on the book of Hebrews, you can go back to our YouTube channel and watch everything that we have aired to date, including other series. You can watch them on demand at our YouTube page. Also, there is a podcast available with the audio portions of this on iTunes. You can simply go there and subscribe to uh, either one of those, and they are free of charge, and there'll be a blessing to you. You can stream the audio portion in your car and your smart device, however you'd like to. And of course, if you have any kind of a, uh, a computer or television that can get YouTube, you can watch us on demand. Uh, also wanted to uh, let you know that there's also an RSS feed for Android devices. Probably the easiest way to find all of that is simply to go to my website, and my website address is on your screen, and follow the links uh, to uh, our, our podcast and our YouTube page. There's a direct link there, and then you can just listen to one, or you can sign up for them and subscribe to them, and you'll get an email every time there's something new that's been uploaded. Once again, that's absolutely free of charge, and you'd be blessed by being able to do that. I want to get in the Word again today and, and just begin to follow uh, I want to pick back up at the end of chapter 6 of Hebrews because it kind of sets the stage for where we're going to go in Hebrews 7 because it really gives you the full thrust of the fact that Jesus is this high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, I want to start in chapter 6 verse 18 and then we'll come on into chapter 7 over the next several programs. Set your DVR if you can't watch, or you can go and watch them again on YouTube, because I want to, as, as you know, I'm usually taking two to three, maybe even four segments of the television program to really look into the Word of God. If you like to dig deeper in the Word, uh, man, tell your friends about us, because I believe that, uh, you know, we're going to dig into some things that uh, uh, I think will bless your life. Let's begin verse 18. It said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth in into that within the veil. Now the veil within the veil is the most holy place. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order 
of Melchizedek. Now what he starts out by telling us here in Hebrews is that uh, we could have confidence. You know, the wonderful thing about the new covenant, and I'll probably reiterate this several times over the next couple of weeks. The new covenant, here's just one key principle that I think you need to always remember. The new covenant is full of supply and the old covenant is full of demand. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in the supply side of it. The old system was a bankrupt system that uh, had all kinds of hoops to jump through in order to receive the promise and the blessing. But because Jesus fulfilled every requirement of that law and so paid the penalties and the debt and the requirements of that law, it was because of His righteousness and His free gift of righteousness that we have access by faith into this grace. And so that we can have a strong confidence that uh, our consolation and our confidence is not in the flesh. You know, one of the things I think that the Apostle Paul uh, made very plain in, uh, I believe it is in the book of Philippians, he said, if you want to talk about confidence in the flesh, I the more, he said, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I was touching the law. I was blameless. And he, but he said, but I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ and, and, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness that's through the faith of Jesus Christ. So what Paul was saying there about confidence in the flesh is, listen, I don't have any confidence in my own abilities uh, to be able to, first of all, please God. It's not based on me, it's based on Him. But when it comes to our own flesh, even see what Paul was talking, what Paul called flesh there, and having confidence in the flesh, which I think would probably could take a whole segment just to talk about, is many times when the Bible is talking about they that are in the flesh, he's not talking about someone who had a, a bad thought last night. He's talking about someone who thinks they can do this through the performance-based human strength and effort. And what Paul called being in the flesh was being circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That's what he also calls being the chiefest of sinners, mark missers. The word sin here literally means to miss the mark. So what Paul was saying is when you think you can do this on the basis of your own strength and labor, you've got your confidence in the wrong place. But if you realize that God made an oath and made a promise to us through uh, the work of Jesus Christ, we can have a strong consolation for those of us. And see, again, this whole book of Hebrews is about those who are moving away from an old covenant paradigm into a new covenant one. And so we have fled for the refuge to lay hold upon the hope that was set before us. And the hope that was set before them was the pending uh, delivering in full force the new covenant because right now during the book of Hebrews, the old covenant was still, although fulfilled at the cross, it was in a fading away period. And uh, so that the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first tabernacle still stood. Within a couple of years, the temple is going to be destroyed and full access will be granted. And there's a, that's a, there's a whole other subject on that. But what I want to say is that we've laid hold, they were laying hold on a hope that was set before them. 
and that hope we have is an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into that within the veil. So Jesus is our high priest who is ever entered into, you know, when we come into the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's going to say, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, or this is what it all adds up to. We have a high priest who has become a minister of the true tabernacle in the heavens, and uh, the one in the earth, uh, according to the, uh, the, the writings of Moses, the one he built in the earth was only built after the pattern of the one that was in the heavens. And so uh, the earthly picture of, of, of what heaven looked like is a picture of the tabernacle. But Jesus has entered into the heavenly tabernacle, into the most holy place, and sprinkled that mercy seat with his own blood and is seated there as an anchor for our soul. When I think about an anchor, he's talking about anchor uh, as a hope, uh, an anchor of we, which hope we have. The hope is that we can lay hold on the hope, which is Jesus, who has entered in uh, to that most holy place, and that the anchor and the hope is that, number one, there's a couple immutable things. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. And that God cannot, once He makes promise, He will always honor His word above His name. But I started to think about being anchored to hope. And, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, uh, what we set our anchor to. What are you anchored to? Are you anchored to fear? Because whatever you're anchored to is what's go you're gonna, that's what's going to hold you. It's going to hold you in place. I think about a boat. You know, so many times uh, uh, you, you think about, you know, you're, uh, drifting down a river or you're, you're in a, a place where there is constant uh, draw against you. You can cast an anchor over the side of your boat or over the side of your ship. And that anchor will lay hold of something. Many times it'll be a rock under the surface or, or, or a rock of some type. But what I want to just encourage you today is anchor your life. Anchor your boat. Anchor your, anchor your future on hope. Uh, man, don't, don't, don't let fear, don't let uh, uh, doubt, don't let unbelief be what you anchor to. Anchor to something that's solid. And when you anchor to hope, and you anchor to hope because Jesus Christ has finished the work, and we anchor our hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we anchor our hope there, we will not be disappointed. We will not be uh, uh, embarrassed because it is impossible for God to lie. And there is a man in the heavens who was a faithful high priest who is living proof that when you approach this throne now, it's not a throne of judgment, it's a mercy seat, it's a throne of grace, and that you can come boldly into that throne of grace and obtain mercy and find a grace that will help in the time of trouble. I want to so throw somebody a life jacket today. Maybe you feel like you've been swimming against the tide and everything in your life has been uh, a wreck. I want you to anchor your life to the hope that's in Christ. God can turn some stuff around. It may seem like, I think about the disappointed, it must have seemed like on, on crucifixion evening and we sing a song at our church, it may seem like it's Friday night, but Sunday is on the way. And there was a hope of a resurrection that, 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 that was coming on Sunday morning and you may seem like your life is in the absolute treacherous waters
of, uh, 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 of the, the turbulent flow of life. But if you cast your anchor and put your confidence and your hope and your trust in the living God and put your faith on that, you've got to be anchored to something. Whatever, if either that or you just go adrift. But when you anchor yourself to hope, I think that's a good place to be anchored to. And so Jesus is our forerunner who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he is for us entered into as the high priest entered into the most holy place. Now let's with that thought go into verse number 1 of chapter 7. It said, For this Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, and he's the priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now there's a few things that I want to to deal with as we go on down through here, but we'll read the next verse also to get this. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now I'm probably not going to get much further than those two verses in this particular segment. But the first thing he says is that this Melchizedek, this high priest is first of all king of Salem. Now, let me say to you that the word Salem here, he tells us by interpretation, uh, is, is the king of peace. So Salem, the word Salem itself literally means peace. So he's the king of peace. Number two, it says that he is by interpretation the king of righteousness. Now, uh, if anybody that is a, a reasonable scholar of the word understand that what Paul writes in the book of Romans he said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. So what we begin to see is that Melchizedek is both king and priest, and he is the king and priest of Salem. He's the king of peace, and he's the king of righteousness. So that's two-thirds of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost. And even when I say that, you know, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. We think about scriptures so many times with our, uh, you know, uh, our Western mindset that we think in terms of, well, the kingdom of God is not pie and turkey. And, uh, uh, and of course, you know, to most people, that's what the kingdom of God is. They think they're going to, well, I'll just leave that be. Uh, but what, what he's saying here is that the kingdom of God is not about meat offerings and drink offerings. I think if you go back and look at the context of that in the book of Romans, he, he talked about letting no man judge you in respect to, you know, uh, a new moon, or, oh, that was in Colossians, new moon or Sabbath. Uh, but the, he's talking to them about, uh, you know, uh, he's talking about uh, offerings. When he's talking about the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. He's, he's talking to a Jewish mindset, and he's saying to them, the kingdom of God, listen, is not about meat offerings and drink offerings. That's what it was under the Old Covenant. It was about meat offerings and drink offerings and divers washings, and one of the things we dealt with as we went through uh, Hebrews 6 is that uh, we've moved away from those divers washings and, and uh, uh, you know, those, those rituals that were not producing the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not about meat offerings and drink offerings. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy 
and it's located in the Holy Ghost. Now let me say this to you, when I first begin to get an understanding of the kingdom and the new covenant and all of the things that you've heard me teach, uh, my, my, my first thing that really began to grip me was when I discovered that righteousness in the new covenant is not based on our performance, it is based on a gift. Because we've received, the scripture says, the abundance of grace and the gift, I hear that, the gift of righteousness. We reign in life, that's a kingdom word. We reign in, not just when you get to heaven, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And we understood, and when I begin to understand, see, I, I grew up teaching and, and, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, was around a lot of great notable kingdom preachers. The problem was in the early days of preaching the gospel of the kingdom, we preached that you access the kingdom through old covenant righteousness. The problem with that is that no one ever meets that criteria. Nobody is ever good enough because the end of the law is, Romans 2 and 3, there is none righteous, no, not even one. So nobody made it into righteousness to access the kingdom through an old covenant righteousness. I believe that's what he's talking about even in Matthew 11 when Jesus said, all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. And up until then, violent men seized the kingdom by force. And so we, we, we carried that over into the new covenant and we get in this fighting mode and we get people fighting and scratching and calling. But if you read that in another translation, especially the Message Bible, it says all of them culminated with John. And now uh, we don't have to fight, scratch, claw, dig, and take the kingdom by force. In the, it, 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 that culminated. What he's saying is that culminated with John because John was the last of the old covenant prophets. And so when they teamed up with John, uh, culminating in John, he was saying, listen, up until this point, you accessed the kingdom through old covenant righteousness. But here's the deal. Nobody made it in through old covenant righteousness. Now what he does tell us in the latter part of chapter 11 of Matthew, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's in chapter 11, right below the verses about it culminated with John. Now, I like how the Message Bible says it. It says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Well, he's not talking about here drug dealers and prostitutes. He's talking about people who've been under the bondage of a religious old covenant system that was about works and struggle and labor and fighting and scratching. What he's saying to them is, are you tired? Yes. Are you weary? Yeah. Burned out on religion. Come to me. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. And so he's giving them an instruction to tell them, you are moving out of trying to acquire the kingdom through an old covenant righteousness. And what you need to realize is that, first of all, he that knew no sin, Jesus, was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now let's think about this a minute. He that knew no sin, he who did absolutely nothing wrong on his part was made to be sin. 
He did absolutely no sin, but he was made to be sin. Now turn the coin over. I, who did absolutely nothing right, was made righteous with the same maid that he was made, he was made sin with. So he was made sin, and I was made righteous on the basis of his sacrifice. This is why we should have a strong consolation and an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast, is because this righteousness is not about you, it's about him. Now let me say this to you, the just will live by faith. So if you believe you're righteous, you will act like you're righteous. And so, you know, the scripture even teaches in, I believe it is John, uh, I don't know the exact chapter, but it says that uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict and convince the world of sin because they believe not. So the first dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict unbelievers that they need to Jesus and that faith, that, that you know, uh, to convict the world of sin because they believe not. Their biggest sin is unbelief. Now once you become a believer, the second dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit is not to convince the believer of sin. The second work of the Holy Spirit is to convince and convict us of righteousness. So uh, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit be released even through the power of these cameras right now and that a conviction of righteousness would fall on God's people. Now here's what happens. See, when you heard me say a few moments ago, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to convince and convict believers of sin. He comes to convince and believe us, convict us of righteousness in the Scripture. What he's saying here does not mean that it's okay to act anywhere you want to. What he's saying is the conviction of righteousness, I believe. In other words, when you really believe you're righteous, and you're convicted that you're righteous. You are in right standing with God. Your sin has been forgiven. What's, you, what's going to happen is when that conviction really grips your heart, you are going to act like you're righteous. So the conviction of righteousness is like being convinced that you're a new creature, like being convinced that you're too good of a person uh, to do these things. I, the way I raised my children was instead of saying to them, you little brat, you'll never amount to nothing, I would say to them, you are too good of a child to act like that. That is not who you are. That's not your nature. Now what happens is it takes them a while to begin to believe that, but once they believe it, and once you become what I call believers, see faith comes by hearing the Word and the Word about God. Now once the conviction of righteousness, I can remember uh, when I first began to understand the difference between an old covenant righteousness and a new covenant righteousness. And I find out that Jesus is the king of righteousness. So he's the dispenser. He's the one with the resource. He's the king of righteousness. But once I settled in my heart the fact that my righteousness was not based on me, it was based on him and that I have an anchor for my soul. I have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for me. And I begin to realize that I truly, in fact, was righteous. Then the second dimension of the kingdom began to operate in my life. And a peace began to come over me that passes understanding. So the second dimension, he's not only the king of righteousness, but he's the king of peace. And I believe there's an order to this. Because once you settle in your heart the fact that your righteousness is based on what Jesus did alone, and that the proof is that he is the high priest who is now behind the veil 
both sure and steadfast, who's an anchor that your faith and hope and confidence ought to have a confident expectation of good things that you are not under the judgment of God. And that God is not mad with you, He's mad about you. And that is there based on, listen, I'm trying to give you a strong consolation here today. But the peace of God began to flood my heart when I began to realize, listen, man, I have peace with God. Hallelujah. He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. But, but He not only made Him to be sin for us, but He made Him sin so that the peaceable fruit of righteousness could operate in our lives. And peace, like a river, began to flow. You know, I, I think probably, it's a tragedy to me that a lot of folk have walked down a church aisle and traded one set of stress and problems for another. And we'll preach, you know, we'll preach a, uh, a, a, a salvation by grace, but then we preach that you maintain your salvation through your works. And listen, what happens is people get under a stress and their peace leaves them. But you know, one of the things that Jesus said right before He ascended, He said, my peace I leave with you. Another translation says, my peace I bequeath to you. It's in the will. It's in His will. He, one of the things He wants to make you a heir of is the peace of God. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the fact that the war is over. God made peace through the blood of His cross, reconciling us to Himself by the death of the, the, the cross. And He made peace with us through the blood of His cross. God is not at war. God is not angry with you. God is not out to judge you. You ought to have some hope today, and a peace ought to flood your heart like a river. And then the third dimension of the kingdom began to flood my soul as I began to understand that I was righteous. And when I realized I was righteous, then peace came. But when my peace came, then the third dimension of it hit me, and my joy started to return back to me that I had lost so long ago in the performance-based religious system I was under. And when my joy began to come, hallelujah, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, uh, even uh, that it says that Sarah herself received strength to conceive after she was past age. And one of the things that was restored to Sarah was she said, shall I have pleasure in old age, my Lord also being uh, old. And what she was realizing is, listen, once the joy comes back, when my joy comes back, then all of a sudden there's, there's a reproduction. So uh, in this segment, what I want to tell you is he is Melchizedek. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he is an anchor for our soul. Uh, he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace, and then the joy comes. We're just about to run out of time. If you have a moment, call the number on the screen, and if you can, sow a seed into the ministry. It is what helps us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. Uh, you can go to our website. Much of our resources are there. There are books there. There are CDs there. And uh, you'll be blessed to pick up especially my newest book, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. All of my books are very grace-based, very kingdom-based, and I believe you'll be blessed. This one just came off the press in, in this spring of this year, and it will bless you. Take a moment to call that number on the screen or go to our website and sow a generous seed if you can. God bless you for tuning in. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.